going to be real hesitant to be letter of the regulation, letter of the law at first if we're just not sure about it. I mean, you guys are here. Y'all sure about it? Yeah, I'm sure not. I'm not COVID. I've been studying it for a while and I feel pretty comfortable with it, but I can tell you right now there's still a lot of questions I still don't know the answers to. I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, hours enforcement to date uh, of the electronic logging systems that are out there. There's a, a funny little anecdote that that I occasionally will bring up back, system back uh, on uh, probably 2009 or 10 or something, somewhere around in there. I was at a small show in Frost, Tennessee, uh, and the American Truck Store Society. There's a lot of trucks out there, and um, owner operator truck, he was leased to a fairly sizable fleet that hadn't, that I knew, hadn't transitioned to electronic logs. Uh, and he had recently had to had the rig repainted and on both doors, big letters. Uh, it was a red truck and it was in blue on the side. It was pretty nice and shiny. Well done. It said, powered, powered by E Law. And, um, and the reasoning behind that, of course, is the way through that, that, uh, that people uh, perceive, at least, whether that's reality or not. Is uh, is that that sort of like real in your in your view, or is that going to change? Well, that effect is definitely real. I think anybody that's out there on the road and actually sees what's going on knows that. Uh, there are those officers who are intimidated by this. They don't want anything to do with it, and they'll run the other way. People all know that. But there are a certain amount of officers out there who are very interested in it really educated themselves. Now, I don't know that the, e, the uh, ELD is going to have the same effect because AOBRDs have kind of we've gotten got comfortable with that. And now, so the transition to ELDs is going to be a little bit better than AOBRDs. Plus, we kind of got a new generation of officers out there. They're more you know, millennials and they're used to technology. They're not scared of it like some of the older officers are. One of the, one of the things that I've seen um, from some officers that you want to ask them those similar questions. They'll come back with some evidence and messages back and forth between the leads about the, you know, about the back office manipulating hours. Do you see, do you guys see a lot of that um, when it comes to the current generation ARB, ARBs? I personally don't because okay. I specialize in roots. I'm sure it does happen to somebody. In terms of enforcement of hours, uh, what what are your biggest concerns um, post DLD? Broadly speaking, I think the number one issue we have we have it with LBRDs, we're going to have it with this. Is this confusion? Officers being on the side of the road, seeing these things, and not being sure of themselves. And what we're really hoping to do is to avoid situations where. Okay, I'm not sure which way do I go with this. Do I go forward and, and, and cite something, or do I back off and check on it later? And we're pushing for the latter. The next, the next little set of questions we're down here at uh, issues of safety, issues of uh, parking, which seem uh, sort of I mean, they go together, but I mean, they might not seem like they go together immediately. Um, first off, the issue of safety. I, 
wonder if you guys have an opinion one way or the other on um, whether ELDs have been pushed uh, to trucking companies as, as safety safety improvement device and thinking. I know a lot of owner operators kind of bristle at that. Uh, at that. They're, they're, you know, they always come, always come back. It's more, it's more, it's a record keeping device, and that's it. But, you know, if there's a safety element to the to the hours of service, it's the hours of service. It's, it's the limitations. But uh, keep keep uh, keep companies from pushing drivers too hard. And, and um, what's your, you know, do you have a view on that? I mean, is that is that square with um, your way of thinking about the, the safety method of the laws? Hours. Well, I would say this, that in my experience, by and large, most of the drivers that I know are great folks. I really enjoy stopping and visiting with a lot of them. I spend a lot of time with them doing education inside my vehicle. But as we all know, there are a certain number one number of drivers that run the funny books. It's been going on for years, everybody knows it. I can see the the issue of automatic driving time being recorded and not being erased to be a very good safety factor in the EOD. Um, with regard to parking, uh, and this kind of gets into that, that last point up there um, about the myriad of special cases that can arise on the road. Um, I think I've talked to talked to so many people that see kind of the safety negative situation uh, with this with ELDs and uh, putting a kind of a hard fast limitation on that on that drive time and and on duty time even more so I think um, with regard to the issue of finding parking. One thing I did wonder about is um, you guys thought of that as well and the DPS doing anything at all to sort of open up. I know there's lots of other initiatives around parking going on, but you guys do anything to add parking capacity uh, out there on Texas roads? Well, that wouldn't be uh, part of the public safety issue. That would yeah. be the Texas Department of Transportation. Text would be the one. I drove up here from Austin yesterday, and you pass all the rest areas, and you're starting to see more bigger, nicer rest areas with lots of truck and parking in the back. Uh, but as far as Parking issue, look, we all know that's a problem. That needs to be handled somewhere a little bit higher than this. Around those, once we get to the, uh, the sort of special driving categories, I think that's that's kind of where I got the, the most questions. And if, how many how many of you folks were actually in the previous panel with the FPCSI? Most people, but she got to a little bit of that as well. Um, there is you know, also in Howard's rules. There's the personal conveyance um, allowance you know, for personal use of the truck, uh, safety. Uh, and I'm not sure. I can't remember exactly how uh, moving around, moving a truck around a facility has been handled. Uh, but essentially, it's it's on duty, not driving kind of activity. So there's there's a yard moves active it's a yard moves category and a personal conveyance category that are essentially selected in the ELD so that when your truck moves uh, it doesn't go to driving it doesn't go to the driveway. Um, now when you're supposed to use those 
those particular categories that's come up. And personal conveyance, how, how do you how do you guys treat that at roadside here in Texas? Um, is it, you know, for instance, is it okay for um, for a driver that's an hour away from home that's empty uh, to go home <laughs> and call that personal conveyance? I would say in most cases no, yeah. uh, because it's still on the trip. Yeah. If he's under, if he's under, yeah, that 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 under his patch. Yeah, the, the general rule, of course, there's an interpretation that talks about that in the book, and it, it's kind of it's a short one. It just says uh, unladen. There's a debate about what laden is. Yeah. And, uh, the other thing is it has to be short distances. They give examples of hotels, stuff like that. So. We do know that there is a committee right now that's working on some, some better guidance for us. We're, we're probably nobody wants that guidance more than us, but we're the ones who have been pushing for it for the longest. Right. When we talk about this, the, the absolute rule of personal conveyance is it can never further a movement of a load. It can never. So we start with that. But as you know, the geographical area in West Texas is not the same as it is in the East Coast. And so you have to factor those things in. It might very well be in West Texas, you have to drive 40 miles to get to a restaurant. Or maybe even more, just depends on what time of the day it is. You're not going to have to do that on the East Coast. So we do factor in the geographical locations. And as much as we can, we try to tell our officers, use a little common sense. Although that can be difficult on its own. Yard, yard moves. Um, what? So I, I learned something the other day talking to some folks at FDCSA. You can use this yard moves functionality according to them, not just at fleet yard, uh, but uh, you know, for instance, moving around the shipper and receiver location, uh, uh, anywhere away from the public road you know, where there's trucks doing business, that can be classified as yard move. Now that's not going to put you off duty driving. That's on duty. Uh, on duty, not driving. Um, where else uh, can yard move be? The last that I had on that was that it would be the company's premises that was an area that was not available to the public. As you know, there are several different types of driving out there, folks, that can be classified right now on paper as on duty, not driving. In Texas, we have a lot of that in the oil pool leases out there. But currently, as is being explained to us, that's not going to, yard moves is not going to apply to that. I believe the only way you're going to be able to do that is to just annotate that driving time at this time. There may be a change coming. I don't know. That's FMCSA. Yeah. They, they, they sort of spelled this out uh, pretty pretty explicitly the other day, picking, talking about uh, intermodal rail yards and so those kinds of places. Uh, I'm wondering if truck stops. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll get a little more specific guidance yeah. on that in the coming days. Yeah, so those special cases. I mean, that's that's the other thing. You know. Often, does that that sort of thing arise when you're uh, checking a log at the roadside today? That, that that kind of okay emergency situation on the road. Stopped in traffic. Go over your go over your drive time or your 14 hour by a certain amount because you're stuck out there. Annotate the log. Um, when you get, you're going over on your 14 hour, you can't do anything about it, uh, driver, uh, driver pulls into a scale, 
three days later. Sonny's previous seven days. Um, what does the officer do? You know, you hear different stories about that. You hear people that want to cite him for a violation, but um, if it's not necessarily an emergency situation like that, say it's a say it's a guy looking for parking, you know, over a bit, and he annotates it. What do you do? Well, unless it meets one of the exceptions, like we talked about the emergency adverse driving conditions, we can't tell anyone that you can violate the regulation. You yeah. can't do that. And we would have to cite that now. Got a little leeway when it comes to driving time, the two hours of driving time, but 14 hours is pretty much a cap. You know, I use the example when I teach this class. You're coming through Austin and you run into a crash. Okay, well now, like Danny was saying earlier in Houston, that's part of life down here, and you really should plan for that. But there could be some real extenuating circumstances in these big cities where you may be stuck in a traffic jam for a long time, way beyond what anybody would ever imagine. And so what I recommend the officers to do is to give the guy, the lady, the first point of escape. Again, I can't authorize, can't tell somebody they can do it, but we're back to that common sense thing. Now, if they get out of the traffic jam and they pass 15 places where they could have pulled over, okay, all bets are off on that. But I think you've got to give the person at least the first point of escape. As part of Todd Amon's Friday presentation during the Overdrive ATBS Partners in Business Seminar, the ATBS president had some good news about the economy, though attendees there weren't all feeling the pickup in freight activity, and to a lesser extent rates, just yet. Amon, as I've talked about before, truly believes mandated ELDs are going to bring further improvements, which he talks about a bit here. His tracking of the truckstop.com load-to-truck ratio, however, gives him a certain amount of confidence that conditions are pretty good right now and could continue to improve substantially for owner-operators. The level of the, that load-to-truck ratio is in favor of truckers uh, at, at levels not seen since the 2014 hot year on the spot market for owner-operators. In fact, today it's well above those levels even, suggesting freight and rate conditions for owner-operators could well continue up in the foreseeable future. Uh, so just to give you some general guidance on you know what's going on in trucking uh, if you own a truck and you've been driving for the last few years you've been struggling a little bit freights kind of sucked and rates have been low and there's not been enough miles and uh, does anybody feel like in the last three to four months uh, raise your hand things have gotten a little bit better in trucking or does it still suck a lot of blank stares I can tell you our customers uh, feel like things are getting better not fast enough but things are getting a little bit better so I want to tell you why and really tell you kind of how we make sense of what's going on in trucking. There's a few key things that we look at, and this is the Morgan Stanley Index, so this is a bit of the Wall Street view of trucking. And uh, I'm sorry, it's a very busy graph, but really this black line up here is a 10-year average. So you base life on averages, and if we're doing above average, we're doing good. If we're doing below average, we're not doing good. And so for 10 years, you know, this, this black line is the average for trucking right here. If we look at the last three years, this is 2015, uh, this is 2016, sorry, this is 2015, 2016, and 2017. So we've had two and a half years below average in trucking uh, for the dry van industry, meaning there hasn't been enough freight and there's been too many trucks, which makes things uh, struggle for trucking. The great news is in July, for the first time in two and a half years, we've gone above that black line. So we're actually above average right now. And that's why I say this is, you know, this is new news. I mean, this is in the last six weeks, things have gotten better for trucking and that's gonna ultimately filter down to you guys as truckers, which is awesome. 
That's the drive-in industry. If we look at the reefer industry, it's a similar story. We've been below average for two and a half years. We just crossed that black line with the red line, but there's not a very big gap, so we're right on the average. So it's better, but it's not great, but it's getting better. Flatbed business is much the same. So the good news is, as I sit here and tell you, it's not just because there's a hurricane in Houston that rates are going up. The market in general has washed out some capacity because of a tough two and a half years, and there's more freight. And so things are getting better for truckers. And I'll give you one last look. My uh, good friend Brent Hutto is in the back of the room, and the folks at truckstop.com uh, are sponsoring this. And so I'm not doing this simply because they're the sponsor. Um, for me, this is the most important weekly thing I look at every single Monday, is this index. And if you're not a subscriber to truckstop.com, uh, I think I pay $125 a year for my subscription just to the newsletter, not to get all the rate information. But to me as a trucker, if you manage your own business, this is the most important thing you can look at because every single week it gives you a gauge on what's going on in trucking. So let me just tell you what I'm looking at up here real quick. For me, the red line is break even. When things are below the red line, they suck for me as a trucker. When they're above the red line, they're good for me as a trucker. And that's really stood the test of time. I've watched this for 10 years. And I think back to the recession days back here and look how far below that red line we, we were. 2008, 2009, 2010, things sucked for truckers. We were in a bad recession. We came above that in 2014 and looked during this time frame. Things were really good in 2014 for truckers. We only had one good year in the last seven or eight years, and then things have kind of sucked the last two and a half years. So what's exciting to me is look at where we're at now. We popped above in March, we popped above the red line, and as of this last Monday, that index is at, is at a 29. And I should have explained to you really what that 29 or that 12 is. Um, it's, it's as simple as the number of loads posted to truckstop.com, which is hundreds of thousands of loads, divided by the number of trucks posted to truckstop.com looking to match those two. So it's a supply and demand index essentially. So what that means is there's 29 loads available on truckstop.com for every one truck looking for a load. That's a robust market. That means there's a lot of freight for you to haul. What that means to me is that's a leading indicator, just like kind of watching the stock market to know if the economy is good or bad. This is the trucking market that tells you if things are good and bad. And that number tells me things are really good in trucking right now. So um, we're pretty excited for truckers. We think at least through the back half of this year, things are getting better. And once the ELD mandate kicks in, as much as most of you may hate that, it's going to be good overall. Finally, we'll take you out on a bit more of Michael Lockmiller's uh, last night concert, as it were. Uh, stay safe out there. Well, I gave you my heart, but Bread. <laughs> <laughs>